uh, welcome to today's episode of the CCYC Avas podcast. Uh, we're having a conversation with Dr. Shivani Nag, who is an assistant professor in School of Education Studies, Ambedkar University, Delhi. Her research focuses on sociocultural inclusion, uh, experience, and participation of marginalized in education. Today, we will talk about mental health in the, con- in the context of education. So mental health recently has become an important topic of discussion. Um, Social media has seen an influx of posts. There has been more therapy services available to people. So what would you say needs to be included in our conversations about mental health? Uh, See, when we talk about mental health, I think, uh, you know, a lot of uh, what I see sometimes on social media in interviews, are largely, uh, you know, people's own views about mental health. I think it's time that we begin to realize and recognize uh, that there is a discipline dedicated to it and that we have to be more informed about it. You know, a lot of amateur layman's views also then get interpreted. Uh, Just for an example, I'm quoting, you know, that uh, one of the key uh, happenings that have led to an increased uh, conversation on mental health. Of course, one is the pandemic in which we've seen a lot of breakdowns and, you know, people isolated, uh, losing jobs. So uh, there have been conditions. And of course, uh, you know, a a very unfortunate passing away of a young uh, actor. Uh, We don't know what the reasons are, but... Uh, you know, it led to a lot of conversation around mental health. And in that one finds, you know, that there are so many kind of views that come in and these views get received very uncritically. So one of the interviews uh, that I was watching, you know, where somebody known to the person was saying that uh, this person cannot be depressed, right? Or this person was so happy or this person is so, uh, you know, Uh, what to say, a very fun-loving person or uh, a very smiling person and that this person can never be depressed. Now, you know, that is something that we actually cannot say about anyone. We don't know, you know, uh, what, when, when do people reach their break points, right? And I'm not talking in respect of the particular person, but just generally, uh, you know, just because somebody appears happy and laid back or fun in front of us, uh, we may still not know what they are struggling with, what they are dealing with. Uh, Sometimes laughter and fun, you know, these can also be coping mechanisms for people. So I feel that, you know, there are a lot of statements made around uh, that this person cannot be that or, uh, you know, uh, how is it that the person was Uh, under depression or anxiety and uh, the parents didn't know. You know, I've been working with young students for a fairly long amount of time. And trust me that in a lot of cases, sometimes, you know, your immediate family members are the last to know uh, because people want to protect their, you know, usually family members sometimes don't realize what these issues are. They get so concerned. So you have young people, adults who would want to protect their families, uh, you know, in a way by hiding their mental health issues. Uh, 
and also sometimes you know the ways families are structured we know they are not the most democratic and empathetic of spaces always for everyone so a lot of time it may also be dynamics within the family which pushes a person right so we hear a lot of uninformed views around if somebody is having a mental health issue how can the family not know or this person didn't appear this way to me uh, and these actually begin to inform us and these can you know really uh, in some ways make discussions around mental health uh, difficult because then we try to you know imagine a certain prototype of a person who can be affected by mental health issues and who cannot be uh, uh, right so in that sense what i really feel is that in our conversations we really really need to hear people who know something about mental health uh, to make sure that you know we are engaging it in an informed way we are reading about it and not everybody becoming an expert on it and then giving out or sharing views that can actually distort people's understanding of mental health um definitely yeah. and as you talked about you know families and the dynamics of mental health issue experiences uh despite more uh, discussions on mental health people are still really apprehensive hence to talk about um, what they're experiencing so how can we ease into the discussions about the same whether it's for classes for works or with our family and friends one we uh you know let's also remember that to ease conversations about mental health with friends uh, in workspaces in family uh we have to realize that a lot of times it is also these spaces uh where people feel unheard or you know the dynamics are such uh, which become non caring uh, you know not very empathetic uh there is a lack of empathy in uh, some of these spaces so if a workspace in itself is structured in a way which is extremely hierarchical a uh, lot of authority a uh, very less freedom it becomes oppressive then of course it will be difficult for a person in that workspace whose mental health is being affected by the very conditions of that workspace to be able to talk about it there uh similarly in families or even amongst friendships sometimes you know our what we call quote and quote friendships our relationships with our peer group uh with partners uh can also be not very healthy or you know the term that we use sometimes they turn toxic uh so one is that we have to realize that you know these are we assume these are the spaces of comfort they may not necessarily be so uh and it will always be difficult to talk about mental health in the space or in that relationship uh which in itself through its dynamics uh you know through whatever it is about uh is somewhere contributing to the person's uh mental state at that point of time having said that uh it is true that you know even spaces uh friendships or family or workspace which are not oppressive which are not that toxic uh you know which which largely uh, are caring and uh, respective of a person's uh, space 
can also sometimes become uh, you know uh, unreceptive to issues of mental health uh, by you know ignoring certain symptoms or uh, you know a lot of our conversations you know like for instance sometimes when a person is feeling you know uh, there is a difference between feeling depressed and depression as a condition right uh, a lot of times people with mental health issues face a lot of gaslighting and uh, you know uh, responses of the sort that you know you have it better than so many other people uh, a lot of times we are unable to understand where the person is coming from right uh, a lot of uh, in french circles a person may hesitate to share that they are feeling extremely anxious or you know they are having anxiety attacks or they uh, have a condition of depression fearing that you know with friends it's always about fun and then nobody wants to uh, you know there is alienation begins to happen right here is a person who's not always in the best of the mood uh, so friends begin to avoid uh, they want to have fun so you don't want to have somebody who at that point of time is not looking in that fun mode to you uh, or you don't want to be responsible you know to have to hear the other person's struggles uh, so there are n number of ways in which you know either we try to trivialize the concerns of people uh, who are in a mental health condition by saying that it's not that bad for you or you're not trying hard enough or you're not grateful for what you have or sometimes we begin distancing also because uh, we don't want our own mood states to affect and sometimes uh, genuinely it is also possible that in these same spaces uh, there are people who are facing various other struggles in their lives and at that point of time they don't feel they are ready to receive another struggle right so these are all complicated issues but a way in which uh, you know we can make a uh, some space for people to be heard is to actually talk a lot more about it uh you know to facilitate this understanding that hearing each other's struggles or uh you know being empathetic not becoming too scared about it uh, uh not feeling the pressure to have to pull the person out of it that's not your job that the therapist or the expert will take care but just to be there if if we can demystify some of these conditions perhaps it will help uh and we need to realize the impact it has on people you know i don't think as a society we really understand the impacts of depression and anxiety on the person who has it or other mental health issues as well right uh, i'm talking about depression and anxiety also largely because this is something that we see a lot more happening uh with children and young adults uh, but we need to demystify them uh, and create you know some amount of care knowing that you just have to be there uh, have enough services available uh, so yeah um definitely and um just our interactions during this pandemic are changing so much so how we're interacting with families with workspaces with um colleges universities everything is changing so in that light 
where everything has suddenly shifted online. Students from class one to research scholars are at home, um, having classes and assessments online. So what kind of shift would you say that brings about in terms of mental health? Uh, see, th this shift is actually, you know, it's a huge shift. Uh, and the impact on the family dynamics, the work relations, and of course, not just mental, your physical being, your mental being uh, are immense. You know, for example, uh, you know, you go to your workspace, uh, you work there, and then when once you're back home, you know, it's a different atmosphere. Uh, in saying this, I'm not saying that all home spaces are happy spaces and that you feel very relieved when you come back from work. Uh, but, you know, uh, look at, let's look at two imaginations, okay? One where uh, it's a happy home, people go out to work, and when they come back, you know, when, when they're back to their homes, that's a space which is a space for them. It allows them to get over uh, their work worries, they interact with each other, and that becomes a way for them to detoxify themselves, uh, you know, to get into a better space. Now, what has work from home done for them? Now, the same home is the workspace, right? So that transition from work to home no longer exists. Uh, for a lot of us, you know, our workspaces have become like curfew spaces. It, it doesn't remain like a home anymore. Because if suppose uh, as a faculty, if I am teaching on in an online kind of a mode, right? Uh, then for me to be able to transact that uh, lecture or that class would require that people around me are quiet, they don't disturb me, they don't enter my room. Uh, so there is also something happening at home, you know, so which was earlier a relaxed space has also become a tense space because there are people working, uh, they would want silence, uh, you know, they wouldn't want you to disrupt their space. Uh, this, you know, the idea of shared space is very different. So two siblings coming back to home and sharing the space uh, has changed because one of them is having a class, wants the other to be quiet uh, or, you know, so the, 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 this, this home, which earlier would be able to help you get past that work tensions is no longer that home, right? It has become the workspace itself. Uh, the other scenario is also, you know, where the home space was not a very happy space. When people went out to their schools, their colleges, their workspaces, uh, they were able to escape certain things at home, you know, which were troublesome, which was which were bothering. They they could find release outside. They could have relationships, healthier relationships with peer group, with colleagues outside. You know, talk about what's affecting them at home. And that became a way of coping. Now for them also, they are trapped at home, right? So, you know, for many, many women, just imagine, you know, their only uh, friends perhaps would be at workspaces. Uh, for many women still, you know, though they are working, uh, they are professionals, they are getting salaries. Uh, that's the only legitimate uh, reason to be out. Now with that having gone, uh, you find that it's really have impacted them because you know, the uh, relations or uh, the equations they could choose for themselves outside their home spaces, that space doesn't exist. So in both of these ways, you can see that, you know, it, it, it makes that once you, you're in that one space forever, 
uh, that one space has become your workspace it's just no longer home uh, the transitions are very abrupt uh, you don't know you know for many of us uh, we find that you know so now when you're going to work and coming back you have fixed time work from home has no fixed time so of course it's 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 shifted the entire paradigm of work for many 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 people right you're not able to talk freely even in terms of classes you know imagine for students uh, to not be able to ask doubts uh, for young children uh, i've i've seen some young children go through it where parents are also sitting seeing them having online classes and then pushing them you know that child answered but you didn't answer so the pressures on children uh, youngsters the teachers themselves uh, and not just in educational space everywhere uh, has really really increased a lot uh, you know there are cases i mean i've heard of uh, incidents where a young man is attending a work meeting has a 2 year old son who doesn't understand what's happening for the child it's the home space wants to run up to the father and the father has to you know then scream at somebody else at the house to take this child away right so it it it's definitely created a very tensed conflict ridden space uh, for people to work in and of course uh, alienating people from real human alive interactions uh, is not very good for mental health um absolutely there has been a major shift when it comes to education so education in times of covid is playing out in various ways for some students it may still be an escape to attend online classes from that conflict ridden place at their home uh while for some we have also seen that families and students have been giving up on some really important resources or even their lives um since they're not able to access that education so in such a scenario what role can educators play in mental health conversations and how urgent of a role would you say they have to play one is i think here you know the whole institutions will have to own up the responsibility uh, to have mental health conversations uh of course uh, educators in terms of you know understanding the challenges of students facilitate try to uh, you know think of pedagogy in a way that is uh, inclusive uh, inclusive not just in terms of online access i mean but inclusive also in terms of you know how can you attend to each student uh, how can we now think of our lessons our curriculum our assessments in a way that you know are uh responsive to the challenges of students uh but at the same time you know by educators if we mean the teachers then not all of them are trained in mental health right uh i think sometime institutions are also leaving a lot on the teachers uh not realizing that you know they are also facing multiple educators are also feeling challenges of their own uh you know to be just in front of a laptop the entire day when this is not something they've been trained for uh, their home spaces being uh, you know uh, undergoing different kind of transitions we've had conversations you know with faculty 
see from you know our institution my friends working in other universities and they really feel you know that when they go to a campus most of them like to have you know 20 minutes of solitude time uh, before they go to take a class to kind of organize their thoughts uh, to kind of orient themselves to the class and after they come back from a class also you know they want to have 10 to 15 minutes to think about it right uh, they 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 want to retain what happened in the class to think about the questions that came and today they are in a scenario where you know you go keep a, a cooker on the gas and you immediately uh, you know shift to a class mode uh, so there are difficult transitions there also uh, so i think institutions also have to step up uh, facilitate both the teachers and the by recognizing the challenges of these times uh to think about you know why how how can our imaginations around curriculum deadlines uh change uh you know how do we make systems more flexible for both uh because a lot of times we also see you know that the expectations are that okay the you know the faculty will give extensions to students but when it comes to submitting results those extensions are not available to the faculty so they still have to correct in that time so i think institute uh, educators will have to understand the challenges of students they will have to realize the times are changing uh, and that their ways of engaging with students will have to be responsive to the challenges of the students having said that uh, the teachers al- you know, alone may not be equipped to engage with uh, you know some complex mental health issues of students and their institutions need to step in to support both uh, to make sure that they have very active mental health facilities available for the students who need it right because uh, you know uh, a lot of times i think with uh, my two disciplines are psychology and education and uh, one of my concerns around these two disciplines is that everybody thinks whatever is in psychology and whatever is in education is common sense right so everybody knows what a good teacher should be like and you know how to uh, counsel somebody else but you know these the, these there are theories there are techniques uh, there are processes uh, that require a rigorous training so we should not also forget that certain mental health issues will require experts to deal with them and the institutions have to make sure that those services are available they are available keeping in mind the strength of you know the students uh, in the university so that you don't keep saying but you know we are uh, short staffed you will have to make arrangements for that and also to think of really more creative ways of imagining our uh, educational spaces to realize these are challenging times to realize that you know uh, many students are facing problems also in terms of you know with family members having lost their jobs uh you know coming from say abusive homes so are there any spaces that institutions have for students you know who may want to move out of home at this time so there needs to be you know lot more structural institutional support uh, for both of these to be able to work around right uh, to be able to create a, a, a more empathetic kind of space uh, yeah
um i think absolutely um just the fact that a uh, few people really want to talk about a very pressing issue that is the educators mental health um their own struggles the things they are dealing with their responsibilities so i think that's quite important to discuss right so you know we have to i mean uh, we are all in it together we have to facilitate each other understand each other's struggles see we we will also need to recognize that uh, you know as young adolescents and young adults uh, due to the stage of life they are in uh, at times could be way more vulnerable uh, however you know educators will also come from different contexts uh, so we need to have you know ultimately see what is empathy uh, what is care uh, these concepts you know there is a amount of reciprocity in this but you know even this reciprocity will be facilitated when you have a larger institutional support uh, if you leave these two to fend for themselves and support each other it will not become possible right so institutions will also have to uh, you know take responsibility for how uh, the semester is being structured uh, do we keep the same amount to uh, time to finish the course or do will we need longer times uh, you know how do we imagine certain kind of transactions uh, how are we mindful of students who have access to online who do not have access to online what kind of support are we being able to provide to them uh, among students also you know there is a huge heterogeneity of students there are students who are at a stage right now uh, with what is happening in their families and uh, their own struggles they are at a state where you it, it it's unfair to push them to engage academically and force them that if you don't finish it you know you you never finish it at the same time there are also students you know for whom uh, a drop in a year means staying in the same space they want to be able to get out of that space they want to find work they need to find work to be able to support family and they may not want a gap so there are huge huge uh, you know the challenges of different people are manifesting in different ways and we'll have to recognize that of course there is no easy solution you know when two struggles manifest themselves in very different ways and make very different kind of demands on institutions but that is where you know we'll have to think of creative ways you know whether it is possible to or perhaps you know give time to some to take a break and come back whereas let the others who need to continue continue i mean this is just one example that i'm giving but the thing is that the institutions will need to listen to teachers and students more uh they will have to think out of the box there will not be one fit solution for all so in these given times we need to be flexible creative understanding enough to think of multiple kind of approaches and supports you know that will uh, help uh, students engage meaningfully with what they are uh, without it you know kind of uh, taking a toll on their mental as well as physical health you know i mean for a student to be at phone for reading for attending class for doing their submissions or laptop uh, it's not something very great for their physical health even right uh, so there have to be a lot more conversations 
the top leaderships of the institutions need to be uh, co constantly, con uh, you know, consistently having conversations with the major stakeholders, the teachers and the students and thinking out of the box, be ready for, you know, multiple approaches and not one fit kind of solutions for all. And be prepared, you know, with strong mental health services which are accessible. Because there are certain things which trained people need to do, uh, which, you know, friends can hear you. But a friend who's undergoing their own struggle may not know how best to counsel you, right? Uh, so that is something which is non-negotiable. Um, definitely. Yeah. Um, so that's all from my side. Um, thank you so much for um, engaging in such important conversations and, you know, giving us a direct direction of where we should go with mental health and education. So thank you for so joining. Glad you had me here and I really hope, you know, that uh, I think it's important to have informed conversations on mental health. Uh, and for people to realize that, you know, before they discuss this, it's important to read about it. Uh, it's important to be informed about it. Uh, because when we talk about it in a certain way, without being informed, we can really cause a lot more harm uh, to people, right? Uh, so informed conversations, listening to mental health experts, uh, reading verified sources on mental health, all of that is extremely important uh, so that we don't make careless statements that can prevent somebody who needs help from getting help. You know, I, I mean, it, it bothers me when, you know, somebody says, how can you call somebody uh, depressed or anxious or uh, schizophrenic or this, you know, because that means you still think these are taboos, right? If, if calling, if, if, if somebody has a condition, to refer to that condition, if it becomes a huge taboo, it, it almost, you know, you, we can't make it sound like an insult to that person. It's not an insult to that person, right? So when, when, when our conversations take that tone, then it makes me worried that, you know, if it is, if, if, if it is such a huge insult or a, a look down to be called a person with a depressive condition or any other mental health condition, uh, then perhaps, you know, people will be more worried to talk about it, to share with others that they are facing it, uh, for the very fear of judgment that people will say, oh, you're not strong enough, right? Because we are saying this person or these people or so-and-so is so strong, how can this be that, right? So that is also, you know, what prevents sometimes people from seeking help because then they are fearful of being judged as weak, of being judged for... Uh, you know, not being strong enough, not caring enough, uh, and so on and so forth. So we need to be a lot less judgmental and way more informed about it. That's very true. Um, so thank you so much for joining this podcast episode. I hope people will uh, feel more encouraged to engage with these issues and uh, hope we have more such conversations uh, in times to come. So bye to all.